Hey everybody, it's Olivia. It's Neha. It's Arushi. And this is Next Gen Politics Podcast. It is our second episode, and today we're talking Electoral College. But first, we need to give you a lightning round of history. So, we're going to start in 1787, where the Electoral College was created at the first Constitutional Convention, and it was created in order to better balance the federal and state government in their role. In 1800, this created the phenomenon of a contingent election where there's a deadlock in the Electoral College, the election is sent to the House. The first instance of this was the election of Thomas Jefferson, who defeated the incumbent John Adams. Then, in 1804, the 12th Amendment was created, allowing electors to separate ballots for the president and the vice president, because at that time, the vice president was just the person who got the second amount of electoral votes, which was often someone from a member of the opposing party. So in 1824, this was the second instance of the contingent election, which hasn't happened since. This was when John Quincy Adams beat Andrew Jackson in his first bid for the presidency. Andrew Jackson won the Electoral College and the popular vote, but did not win an outright majority of either, sparking the first controversy of the role of the Electoral College. Next, in 1896, this was the first instance of a political realignment, which is where the Electoral College or a specific group of voters changes their vote permanently. In this instance, William McKinley beat William Jennings Bryan, ending the third-party system. In 1913, the 17th Amendment was established, so senators now are elected by popular vote, not through the Electoral College. In 1932, the second political realignment came with FDR's election, and the Democrats retook power after several consecutive Republican presidencies. After that, in 1969, the House passed a resolution to elect the president and vice president by popular vote, effectively trying to end the Electoral College, but it failed the Senate, so this measure was voided. And then, present-ish day, in 2000, Bush v. Gore begun the National Popular Vote Compact. So the National Popular Vote Compact, it basically seeks to get states that comprise a majority of the 538 votes in the Electoral College 270 to be precise, to agree to give their electoral votes to whoever wins the national popular vote. And so there have been a, mo- all Democratic states that have, uh, that have passed a national popular vote compact. And just this March, uh, Governor Jared Polis, uh just is poised to sign an electoral college bill that would um, award their votes to the popular vote. So that's pretty interesting. Anyways, now that we're done with that, I think it's time to get into the nitty-gritty of this stuff. Yeah. All right. In 2016, Donald Trump won, which caused a lot of people within the Democratic Party to uh, become pretty antagonistic to our old friend Electoral College. And uh, But Republicans have always been really pro-Electoral College. Why is that? Well, I think that a lot of people that are conservative tend to represent more rural areas, and one thing that the Electoral College does very well is give a voice to rural voters. If the Electoral College didn't exist, the election would just be decided in the hands of the cities and areas that are more densely populated, which tend to have more Democratic votes, which is why conservatives are more in support of the Electoral College, because they want the rural voices to be heard as well. Um, and I've noticed the argument amongst Democrats is that it's a one-person, one-vote type of deal. I know that with the Electoral College, there is a bit of an imbalance in how many votes a person has, so to say. But without the Electoral College, with the popular vote, with a direct vote, isn't that the same thing? Don't rural people have less power? Why would you vote in Little Rock, Arkansas, 
when your vote in New York City matters so much more. It's like, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think that the concept of the Electoral College, like, without it, it would still go to the more populous areas, but I still do think one vote equals one vote. But just, it doesn't matter location, like, location-wise where you are, your vote still signifies one vote, which is something that I think why Democrats are like, one vote is one vote no matter where you are, and with the Electoral College, it sort of places people based on their location. A common argument by many Democrats, especially recently, has been there have been so many people who win the popular vote and lose the Electoral College. This has been more of an issue, I mean, twice in the past two decades, and then all the way back to 1824. This is not a common occurrence. I mean, we've only been in this century for about 19 years now. I don't think this is really an indicator of what's going to happen in the next 100, 200 years. I think that having an electoral college also calls for a pretty clean ending to an election where one person is effectively president, because with the popular vote, it's been pretty common. Like, take 2016, for instance, where the popular vote, no one gets 50% of the vote. It's more common to get 270 electoral votes, and like we were saying earlier, only two times has nobody gotten 270 vote, electoral votes, so having an electoral college proves to be more effective with having a clear and decisive winner of an election. Especially if we think about the recent midterm elections and other ones, we've seen how many, like, the need for recount and, like, ballot counting has been such an issue. We can use the recent midterm elections, such as the governor and senate ones, to really see how much of an issue that would pose. Because as we saw, especially in states like Florida, there were several ballot recounts that took place, often with a lot of controversy. I would say Georgia, for example, as well. And on a nationwide level, if that were an issue with the presidency, that would just add to the controversy of an election. Like also in 2016, when they counted the popular vote ballots, I think they were within, was it a million or even less than that between Hillary and Trump? So that was very, very controversial then as well. So. Let's imagine America with no electoral college. I think that there are going to be a lot more candidates in the world without an electoral college because I think that the electoral college really supports the two-party system that we have today. So without it, I feel like a lot of people would be running as independents on different platforms with very distinctive views. And so you're, I mean, you have all these candidates that are not saying, hey, I'm going to be the best president for America, they're like, hey, I'm going to be the best president if you want, I know, fair trade or something. And uh, I just don't think that would work. Like, you see this happening in, like, parliamentary systems, like in, you know, Europe, Europe and whatever. Okay, <laughs> whatever that is. Okay. You see this in parliamentary systems where you have to put together a coalition of a bunch of parties in, in order to create the majority in parliament. And unless we were to just totally destroy the system we had today and, like, I don't know, just model ourselves after Great Britain or something, we'd end up with, like, presidents only elected with, like, you know, 10% of the vote, just, like... Yeah, and as a two-party system that we do have, that does have its issues given, like, independents don't have that much of a voice, but with such a like, wide group of people running, no one's goal is really to represent the people in their best interests. Their goal is to, like, represent whoever's funding them or whichever small, like, 
category they're representing, and then they form coalitions, which are often very weak, as we've seen through history, even now, and that just causes people turning their backs on another, causing like petty conflict within the government, and the focus really, really shifts more away from the people, which is kind of counterintuitive if you think about like parties, but these are becoming more of like interest groups more than parties at that point. It, exactly, and we already have just such a intense level of hyperpartisanship in this country with two parties, okay? Imagine the divisiveness. If there were not just two parties, but, you know, ten, okay? There are ten parties, and they're all fighting for dominance, and it's always us against them instead of us, you know, we're all working towards this common goal of making America, I don't want to say great again, but great again. Yeah, I feel like... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I love you so much. I love that. <laughs> So also, yeah, I agree with what you said about how divisive we are now, but like you're right, if we have that many parties, no one's really going to get anything done. If we think we're in gridlock now, like it's going to get so much worse because no one's everyone wants one little tiny specific thing to where nothing is going to get done to benefit everyone. And these coalitions are just going to create weak parties and then there will be nothing that will ever get done. We've seen this historically happen several times. The most obvious being post-World War I with the German Weimar Republic, where it was almost designed so nothing could really get done, and it was implemented by the Allied powers. And that was basically where there were about, I think, 39 political parties, and you could really win 4% of the vote and get a seat in Parliament. So this is something that we would not want our government to resemble, given the progressive nature of a lot of our views here. So, Neha, you were talking about how the abolishment of an electoral college would actually increase the need for money um, for campaigns. Yeah, um, the electoral college focuses a lot geographically and um, candidates based on the electoral college know where they need a campaign and know where they have sort of safe votes. Take Democrats, for example, they're going to be focusing more on places like Iowa and Florida and swing states. But if we don't have an electoral college, they're going to actually need to go to some of their safe areas like California and like New York City, where they usually take those votes for granted, but they're going to have to go out there, spend more money, use more resources to try to campaign in these other areas. Exactly. And when you need a lot of money, you can't totally rely on money from the people the people that, you know, are going to vote for you, your supporters. Um, and we've seen that PACs have been a really big topic, a hot-button issue, you might say, these uh, past two years, ever since Bernie Sanders made his bid, um, without PACs. Uh, and that's something that Democrats find really attractive these days. And it just seems kind of like if we abolish the Electoral College and when you have people running for special interest groups, etc., um, it, it looks like you're going to have a way more lobbyist-infused Congress and, you know, President and Senate and just everything. It's going to have more lobbyists. <laughs> and that almost feels like a regression from what a lot of people have been trying to do recently. And we don't know how really beneficial that would end up being. Yeah, there's just... It, corruption has been a, a massive issue, and I feel like... Democrats are kind of working against themselves. It looks really nice now to, you know, think that, oh, hey, 
Republicans won't have as much power, we can actually get some Democrats into office um, way easier. But just in the long run, it's not great. <laughs> yeah, and we've also seen that there are shadows of divisiveness in the Democratic Party right now with all these candidates announcing for 2020, like we talked about in our last episode. And this sort of micro level of divisiveness, this only can foreshadow what we're gonna, what we would see if the Electoral College was gone and there are even more people with even more specific and specialized interests that wouldn't even benefit all the people. And America is for we the people, and if our government isn't representing the people, I feel like that's just completely counterintuitive. Anyways, guys, thank you for listening to our second episode of Next Gen Politics. Uh, we really enjoyed recording this. Uh, sorry this episode was a little short. Anyways, um, I'm Olivia. I'm Neha. I'm Arushi. And we'll see you next time. Also, make sure to follow our social media. We now have an Instagram account. It's at Next Gen Politics Podcast. We're going to be more active on there. If you have any suggestions that things you want us to record, comment on our latest posts, follow us, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Awesome. Bye. I thought we should add a little social media plug, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah.